0: Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full-time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me.
1: I'm Jesse Tuggy and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting and looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes,
0: bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 101 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, I'm talking with Steve Mann, a health coach for both type 1 and type 2 diabetics. He has an interesting career path, and his passion for helping people really shines through in this interview. Jesse couldn't join us for this one, but she is here for the wins, fails, and hack of the week. Jesse,
1: what is your win? All right. My win this week is that I actually met with my adult endocrinologist, kind of, well, I actually met with the nurse practitioner who saw me and not the actual doctor quite yet, but now I know where the building is and I know I can get there by myself because my dad took me this time around and made sure everything was working out. I still have an appointment with her in July just to say hi and meet the actual endocrinologist, but we just made sure that I was up to date, all of my prescriptions were good and that I'm all good to go for like the next couple of months. Is this endo still in Washington? So you'll be
0: like kind of commuting for her?
1: Yes. So she is in Tacoma, Washington, almost like a five minute drive from my pediatric endocrinologist. So it's kind of funny. But my plan is to, at least for the first year, kind of travel back and forth between Washington and Montana. And then from there, I'm going to either decide, oh, I actually can do telecom te- or telecom meetings and just not get my A1C done or actually find like an endocrinologist out in Montana, although those are kind of sparse. My insurance is starting to move out here though. So hopefully I'll get like an endocrinologist not or somebody who knows diabetes and can advise me on things out here soon. So fingers crossed. All
0: right. My fail this week is the pump case that Tandem gave me when I uh, first got the pump in 2017. So I've, I've mainly worn my pump in my bra for convenience just because it's like really easy access and it's always on the same side as my, as my sensor. So it's always just been in my bra. But with the heat in Western Montana, even with the air conditioning, it is affecting my insulin efficacy, which is not great. So I started using the case just to keep it away from my body during the day and then putting it in my bra at night and taking the case off. And with, with taking the case off and putting it back on every day, the case is actually damaging the charger port cover which is not great. So I ended up buying a new one from type one tactical on uh, the recommendation of a previous guest, Ryan Griffin from episode 99. So once that arrives, I will uh, take a picture because (laughs) they do custom engravings and I got the podcast name on it. So I will take pictures when it comes and it will go on the show notes for
1: for this episode once it gets here. Anyway, (laughs) Jesse, what is our hack for the week? So I recently went to an orientation on-site at Montana State University, and I had to introduce the fact that I was diabetic to a bunch of kids, new people, not kids, but new people. And something to always keep in mind is that some people are kind of uncomfortable talking about medical things or type 1 diabetes or even asking questions to you or about your life. So sometimes it's just good to take it easy and, you know, just – Let them know that it's okay to get to know me a little bit better before them asking me a hundred million questions or even asking one question too. So I usually, I ask them, are you okay talking about it? And then always reassure them on your comfort level as well. So you can always say like, Hey, yeah, I'm totally open to questions, but you know, I may not answer all of them or Be like, yeah, I love answering questions, talking about my diabetes, or you know what, I am actually just, I'm really good not talking about this maybe right now, or maybe at all. But we can definitely talk later or, you know, coming up with those answers of not right now, or not at all. You're not the person I want to talk to about this. And there are people out there who are like that and say that essential oils cause or cure all your problems. So... Anyways, moving on, but it's okay not to answer or ask questions if you are not comfortable or make sure to check in on your friends and see if they are starting to get slightly overwhelmed about the whole diabetic thing. I want to (laughs) say when
0: I went to college orientation, a really, really good way of like making sure people understand that you're okay with talking about it is making a joke. So. There was, at one point, my orientation group was talking about, like, drugs and, like, drug use, and I'm like, I get high, I use legal drugs to bring it down. <laughs> and then I explained that I'm type 1 diabetic and I need insulin. <laughs> it was awesome. It was just such a great way of, like, making everyone laugh, and I had fun, and people, like, got the joke, like, yes, insulin is a regulated drug, and I get high, but it's
1: not on marijuana. <laughs> That scares me, because know, knowing some of the people that I met, that would not go over well. <laughs> Might have been the culture of Washington and Pullman, but it, like, it worked.
0: <laughs> I love it. All right, here is Steve. Hi, Steve. <clears throat> Welcome to the show. It's nice to have you on.
2: Thanks, Colleen. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So tell our listeners about who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life.
2: That's a big question. So let me see if I can, uh, I'll wind it back. How about that? And then we'll go, get started from there. So I was diagnosed in 1973. I mean, we're talking clinic tests, test tubes with urine and water and all that sort of fun stuff. Juvenile Diabetes Foundation at that point was pretty much just an idea by a few parents. And I was taking NPH and regular insulin and giving myself injections. You know, like every other diabetic, I, you know, had tough times. I hit depression when I was younger, really, you know, revolted. I remember in college, I was like, oh, I should take some insulin now. You know, there was, again, there was really no way to uh, get control over your sugars. And I really, that's just, at least for me, there wasn't. Frankly, I, I didn't want to. When I was 25 or so, I was losing some vision in my right eye. And it turns out that I was I had some bleeding going on. And thank God I, I saw somebody who's really fantastic and uh, he saved my vision. But it was like after that, like reality check, I started taking really good care of myself. Got into, and I'm a technologist at heart. I, I mean, from an academic perspective, you know, I went to Emory University, then I did my graduate uh, work at NYU and um, the Graduate Center City University. I, I was doing my PhD in neuroscience and uh, got you know, kind of bored with that and ended up heading into technology as a technology marketer. So I fell in love with technology and so when pumps were coming on the market, I think back in 96 I I started pumping with a Dezatronic. You know, I actually still have, so I don't know if I have the pump anymore, but you know you'll remember this. I mean Dezatronic box where you used to get this wild thing. You, you couldn't use commercially available batteries. You had to use the special batteries that they set. It was a trip. So yeah, after, after that was getting technology, you know, I started to embrace it more and more, started really focusing on my A1Cs. You know, I was getting down to five, 5.9. That's, a, that's where I've been for quite a while. My endo, my endocrinologist is a type one uh, diabetic as well. So we really came together. And I, I got to tell you from, you know, a healthcare team perspective, I, I couldn't have somebody any better on my healthcare team than an endo that's also a type one diabetic. So she turned me on to a whole bunch of different strategies for taking care of myself. She is was in the clinical studies for well, running the clinical studies for the Omnipod Horizon, now the Omnipod Five, and that's what this is. So that's what I'm running with right now. Awesome. I was in a clinical trial and yeah, I think I'll stick for it a while. We'll see who goes. So um, what
0: was the actual story of your diagnosis? Like did you know anything about diabetes before then? Or did your, your parents know? Was there any family history?
2: No family history. So here's the story. The one night, I wake up in a pool of urine. This happens a couple of nights in a row. I go to my father and I say, hey, dad, you know, this is what happened. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. Okay. We get on a plane and we go to Florida on vacation. I'm looking really thin. As a matter of fact, I'd lost 15 pounds in two weeks. And I could tell my parents were concerned, but they were doing the best they could to ignore it. Ironically, my pediatrician was on vacation where we went. And so my parents had spoken to him and said, oh, go get a clinic test kit and uh, test his, his urine. So we go there and we get the kit. And, uh you know, the kit calls for precision. You know, I think it's five drops of urine and 10 drops of water or something like that. You drop the reagent strip in, right, the tablet in. It turns a color. If it's blue, it's negative. If it's red, you got a lot of sugar in your urine. Well, we didn't have a dropper, so we just put a little urine in, a little water in. So, and obviously, it was negative. It was blue. So then I, I proceeded to have a big can of Coca Cola and a corned beef sandwich. We come home, and it's the Monday that school's starting. I go downstairs and go, "Mom, I really don't feel well." she thinks I'm trying to just get out of going to school, going back to school. She says, "All right, get back in bed." I get back in the bed, and she brings me up some uh, sunny-side up eggs. Remember, just like yesterday. Down they went, and up they came. And so mom said, okay, there's probably something that I should take them to the doctor for. So we go to the pediatrician, the same pediatrician that we saw when we were away on vacation. He tests my sugar. And, um, yeah, my my sugar's through the roof. My ketones are through the roof. I'm in a uh, DKA, you know. In pain, my stomach hurts. I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I'm barely there. And so the doctor comes in and says, Steve, you have diabetes. And I, I was so shocked. That I didn't know what to do or what to say. And I, the only thing that came out of my mouth was, am I going to die? And he said, no, you're not going to die. Your, your life is going to change. At which point I said, mom, you got to take me to the hospital because I was in such pain that I was curled up in the back of the car. I, I spent a week in the hospital. You know, about three or four days in, they started teaching me how to give an injection. Day six or seven, you know, and I was practicing on an arms. And said, "Okay, go ahead, Steve." Pinched my thigh, jabbed myself, gave it to me, and then I, I cried my eyes out. That was my that's my genesis story.
0: Oh, that's this like my heart goes out to like young you having
2: to do that. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. You know. That's one of the big things about having, getting diabetes back in the seventies or the eighties. The support wasn't there the way there is today. You know, you don't have 120,000 people sitting on, on Facebook groups. You don't have the JDRF. You don't have two diabetes. You don't have any of that. Right. So it's a, it, it was a, it's a huge difference to how you enter your life or manage your life when you don't have that support versus when you do.
0: Yeah. That kind of um, makes me think of this next question, which is what are your favorite and least favorite things about diabetes?
2: (laughs) Yes. Okay. So least favorite is the constraints on my lifestyle. You know, I I like to do certain things. You know, I uh, sometimes like to go out and I don't want to like worry about what I'm eating. So that's one thing, the constraints on my lifestyle. The other thing that that I like are the constraints on my lifestyle. So deciding that, you know, because of who I am and what I have, there's exercises that I exercise that I need to do. I need to live a certain way. And that certain way isn't just healthy for a diabetic, it's a health it's healthy for a human being. And so, you know, that's a very positive thing. I do miss uh, Goldenberg's peanut cheese. I think that they crack the code on candy. And so that's one thing that I desperately miss. Yeah, from a, from a other thing that I really love is, you know, I, after that career in high tech, which I'm still dabbling in, I had the opportunity to talk to a friend who had diabetes and was doing really poorly. And and I helped him through some tough times. And, you know, I sat back and I said to my wife, you know, I really enjoyed doing that. I should do this for a living. So I founded a diabetes health and wellness organization and I've become a diabetes coach. And you know i i love that so for the what the diabetes has given me is given me a way to channel my passions by helping others
0: so we'll get more into the diabetes coaching um later on i want to ask you so you mentioned you have the omnipod uh, horizon
2: I so do. does that
0: does that come with the the dexcom yet or like do it you does. have a CGM
2: uh, yeah i have a, i have a cgm it's the it, it's it's the dexcom it and it's it's a three-way communication. The Dexcom not only talks to the Dexcom servers in the cloud, it also talks directly to the to the pod, and it needs to talk to the pod because the pod is making moment-to-moment decisions with its algorithm as to okay, what's it going to look like over the next five minutes, type of thing.
0: Okay, so it's kind of like um, a closed loop uh,
2: system. It's a hybrid closed loop system, absolutely. It's um, right. it is you know a competitor to you know the T slim. And control IQ and the, this craziness that Medtronic's put, put out there. So, yeah.
0: It's nice though that all three major pump manufacturers now have the, the
2: hybrid closed loop. I would, I would agree. I would also say that they wouldn't be there without the diabetes community. You know, for a while I looped and, um, you know, I loved looping. It's a great do it yourself, uh, algorithm that you build on, on an iPhone and, and away it goes. And, it, without that type of effort from the community pushing the commercial organizations along, I think we'd be years behind where we were because large organizations, you know, they're not innovators. They're incrementalists, right? They do little things at a time and eventually they get to where you want them to be, but it takes twice as long. So that's why a do-it-yourself community is so powerful, right? Because they don't have any constraints. You know, you're buying in and you become part of that community and you say, look, I'm willing to take the risk to do this as part of this community because I want to live a healthier life and, and you, Mr. Pump Creator, right now, you can't do that for me.
0: So was your involvement in Loop, did that have to do with your technology background?
2: No, not at all. I mean, there are. No, I'm not a software engineer. The teams that are building Loop have created in such a way that folks like you and me can go ahead and very easily build the application. And then install the application on our iPhone. It's pretty much simultaneous. And then that application will talk to the Dexcom and it will talk to the pod.
0: That's pretty cool. Although I yeah. don't have an iPhone, so I couldn't use <laughs> Loop. So,
2: um, And I will say, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Tidepool. Yes, I am. Yeah. So Tidepool and the, the guys that are building, the, the folks that are building Loop are building a, an FDA approved commercial version of Loop. So it it will be a a choice eventually as to, you know, what algorithms you want to use. And I think that's really a great way to go, right? I want my choice of what I think is the best mathematics for me, as well as the best hardware and software for me.
0: That's a really good point, because a lot of insurance companies will restrict what kind
2: of pump you can get. And I'm like,
0: no, people need their choices. They need to be able to pick which one works best.
2: No, you're absolutely right. And, And that choice isn't there. And, uh, you know, every day, you know, I have a neighbor down the road that she has diabetes. She has a pod and she can't work anymore. So she's on Medicare and, um, she's in the donut hole. In other words, everything right now until she gets to the other side is out of pocket. I'm sorry, but that's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars every time you have to get a pod, pod delivery, right? It's hundreds and hundreds of do- dollars for any durable medical. So it's just, uh, I don't think the U.S. healthcare system is geared for people with chronic illnesses, let alone folks like us who live active lives, who need these these things to get by to, to live. But you know, other than that, we're perfectly healthy. So I think that's a frustration on the entire community of, of folks that have chronic illness.
0: Speaking of choices, how do you like, um choose your diet? Do, like, have you found a specific diet that works better or worse to keep your blood sugars? In no,
2: range? no. <laughs> I, I, I bounce around, you know, I, in 2016, I, I became a plant-based whole foods, you know, real forks over knives fanatic and super healthy. It was great for me. I found the amount of effort it took to stay on the diet to be huge, right? You're cooking everything from scratch every night pretty much. Right. And then there was the, the strategy. Well, you know, do all the prep work on Sundays. Well, Three hours later, and so that was a, a tremendous amount of effort. And I, I found myself slowly drifting away from it, like I wasn't really conscious to. Oh, I'm gonna try vegan for a while. You know, maybe I'll just go back. Now I'm gonna try low carb, and now I'm gonna try Mediterranean. And so what I've come to realize is that the, you know these quote unquote diets, you have to build the one that works for you. So for yes. me, what works for me is kind of like a riff off of Asian diet. So in Asian diet, protein is kind of like a condiment, right? It's not the main part of the meal. It's the condiment. It's off to the side. The vegetables and the rice and, and the, the grains, that's the main course. So my wife and I have moved in that direction. We try to treat, you know, the protein as really condiments. So I eat uh, and I intimately fast. And so that helps me, you know, manage my weight. And uh, so between that and having this, you know, more relaxed approach um, and really looking at the foods that we eat from a more critical uh, perspective, is this healthy for me or not? That's the type of uh, diet that we've landed on. And it certainly helps to have a partner in this.
0: I really love that because one of my core values is experimentation and finding out what works for you. Like I will let people know that low carb works for me, and I think maybe everybody should just try it at least, just to find out if it works. But if it doesn't, yeah. that's not a problem.
2: Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I, it's not only a matter of. You know, see, I'm a big believer in managing your own healthcare team. That you are the leader of your healthcare team. Nobody else is. Your endocrinologist isn't. Your CDE isn't. Your dietitian isn't. Uh, none of none of those folks. Those folks are your experts. You rely on them. You take their information. But you make the decisions, And the same goes with diet. You have to do the experimentation to your point, Colleen, to make sure that what you are trying to do works best for you, as opposed to your endocrinologist saying, this is going to be best for you. I'm sorry, even my endocrinologist who has type 1, she doesn't know what's best for me. We compare notes a lot of the times. And he goes, so, so, Doc, what do you eat? And she goes, I am so boring. I go, what do you mean? She goes, I have two pieces of light toast. What do you mean you have two pieces of, every morning I have two pieces of light toast. That's it? Yes. Yeah, so what about for dinner? Okay. Uh, I tend to have one piece of broiled salmon with some vegetables on the side every day. I, I mean, I, I cannot, I could not live, live that way. So that's one of the things that you asked me earlier about one of the things that you, re- that you really don't like about having diabetes. It's that constraining component around, you know, the framework with which you live in. And everybody lives in a framework, right? But then the, the, the goal is to, how do I get side? how do I get outside of my box and still live my diabetes, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely. Something we ask all of our guests is, what does burnout mean to you? And if you've experienced it, what have you found helps you get out of it or manage it better?
2: I have experienced burnout a couple of times. So burnout means you can't look at another needle. You can't look at another vial. You can't even... Think about calculating any carbs in your head. It's just, you're done. You've had it. And I don't even call it burnout. I call it open rebellion. I mean, I've been in a situation where it's like, you know, we're not doing this. I don't really care what you are going to impinge on me right now or force me to deal with. I'm going to not pay attention. And so to get past burnout, you absolutely need a vacation. You need a vacation. And I don't mean like don't take care of yourself. I mean do things differently. So if you're pumping, don't pump. It. Go back to M.D.I. for a week or so, or just say, you know what? I'm going to do morning, noon, and night, and I'm going to do that for four days, and I'm going to get I'm going to take Breathe. Or if I'm on low carb, you know what? I'm going to up my I'm going to up my um, my bolus uh, for a few days. I'm not going to count low carb at all, and I'm just going to I'm going to enjoy those meals and on a on a regular or higher car basis. Or, I'm tired of intermittently fasting. Same thing, right? It's, we gotta have three square today, right? So, that's the thing that you need to do. You need to take a vacation. Every, every, everybody says, there's no way to get out of this thing. We can't take, and i said it to my wife, I, will, I need a vacation. I just need a break. Right? So you have to give yourself a break. But again, it has constraints, right? Because as diabetics, we have constraints.
0: And it's important to remember that your vacation is not going to look the same as somebody else's vacation.
2: YDMV, your diabetes may vary.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I might use that later. Since you were diagnosed in the 70s, what do you think is the most significant
2: change within the diabetes sphere since you were diagnosed? The first is technology. I see technology has been a lifesaver. That's number one. Uh, I think it's revolutionized treatment. The second thing that I do is the activism in the community. The activism in the community is what's pushing towards a cure. And I remember when I was diagnosed, people were saying to me, oh, 46 years, we'll have a cure. Right? That's 48 years later. And the tech is there. The cure isn't there yet. Yes, we're getting closer, but it's a ways to go. And that's a big shift in this notion of activism. I think it's been a big shift as well. And the third one and one that I'm not happy with at all is the you know, the onset of type 2 diabetes in America is, it's a disaster. We've got 18 million plus people in the U.S. that have type 2 diabetes. And the, the frustration to me is that the pharmaceutical community has gone all in on finding treatments for type 2 because that's where the money is. And so that's a big frustration of mine. And I think that change in and of itself is its hurting the type 1 community in a sense.
0: I will agree with that. It's they're, like they're putting more attention on the like the majority instead of the, the minority that needs a little bit more attention.
2: That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
0: Knowing what you know now, is there anything that you wish you or your parents could have done differently in the first few years of diagnosis?
2: Family therapy. Uh, I think that they, you know, I've done a lot of research on this, I do writing on it, that you know, the impact of a chronic illness on, on family dynamics is massive. Many times a sibling, a healthy sibling will feel guilt. Many times a healthy sibling will feel like they caused it. Parents get become, they get in conflict over it. Like, did you cause this? Or they get angry at one another and resentful because one's doing more work than the other. Family therapy in our house would have helped. Uh, my sister became a placater, like never wanted to rock the boat. Because I was the center of attention, so there's resentment that grew up. My father withdrew. You know, he couldn't he couldn't believe that his healthy son was now ill. So, family the family dynamics actually really negatively impacted my ability to have to manage my diabetes.
0: Okay, so that that's, that's actually so, a good tip I haven't heard before.
2: Yeah, so I, I think that all families and you know parents of newly diagnosed. I work with parents of newly diagnosed as well, and I I encourage them to seek out not only the community, but also professional help because it will smooth the way.
0: Yeah, definitely. So kind of a, a twist. Do you have a, a favorite or a cherished memory about life with type one that was just something that happened to you? and Maybe it was just so awesome. You can't forget it because of diabetes.
2: Hmm. Yes. When I was 16 years old, this cardiologist near my house was founding a, a research project on the effect of Olympic level training on type one diabetics. And he, he got these, you know, Nautilus machines, which is a brand new, you know, all cool like exercise machines that had just come out. He recruited a bunch of Olympic athletes to come in and train guys like me. And I I, was, I, would never have this exposure to these guys if I hadn't been diabetic, and I would never have had the opportunity to learn how to become a competitive athlete, which I did as a result of this. And I would not have ever met my wife, my soulmate in college because she thought I looked damn fine. So those were three great things that happened as a result of having diabetes, and, and I'm not good every day for being able to uh, have that opportunity.
0: That's awesome. That is so cool. Like learning how to exercise with diabetes is a huge struggle for so many people, including me. <laughs> like this morning, my blood sugar crashed on a walk. It was great.
2: <laughs> right, right. Well, it, it's, you know, being, everybody has to get a PhD in diabetes, right? And uh, diabetes, benefit. there's just so much to it. It's changing every day. And yeah, you can remember the, the rules, but the rules really fit, right? That, you know, diabetics live a life of exceptions.
0: They're more yeah, like guidelines anyway.
2: Yes, they're <laughs> guidelines anyway. Exactly right. And life most of life is lived outside of guidelines, so that's true.
0: So you touched on it earlier about being a, a health and wellness coach for for diabetics and the parents of of type ones. And I also mm-hmm. saw on your website that you work with type twos.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So can you talk a little bit about how you went from being a chief marketing officer in technology to like completely switching to be a health coach?
2: Yeah, for sure. And for me, you know, I've, I've had a wonderful career I, and I'm having a wonderful career in, in high tech. You know, I've had the opportunity to lead marketing at some of the world's greatest brands and have, I've just had a wonderful, wonderful career. And I'm, I think I'm good at it, but I'm not passionate about it. And I, I really, I wanted something, I wanted something at this stage in my life that I was passionate about. And I referenced it to, before, you know, thinking so much about my neighbor and kind of giving her guidance because she's been having a lot of challenges and then having some discussions with friends about this, realizing that this was something that fed me. And I've had the opportunity to cram a lot of information into this brain and I've had the opportunity to be in a position to help others. And um, so I want to pay it forward. And so I decided that, okay. Okay. Until this pays the bills, I'll do both, but, and it may never pay the bills, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is being able to help other diabetics avoid the hurdles and avoid the pain that I did. You know, because I lived it. I, I felt it. I've, I've seen it all from pretty much the beginning of the beginning of the, of the now to now. And, uh, so I've, I've got a lot of stuff crammed in this cortex that I want to share with others. What are some of the biggest issues that you work with your clients on? Number one, fundamentals. I mean, okay, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to take an injection now and now I'm going to eat. Well, you know, here's how that type of insulin works. So you need to pre So it's, it's those types of real basic blocking and tackling. And they can see their ACs coming down from 8.5 to 7.5 just on getting some of the basics down, right? So that's number one. Number two is discipline, right? And I'm like, I I don't consider myself a very disciplined human, but I'm disciplined enough to take care of myself. And so that whole notion that discussion that we had earlier about lifestyle, that you have to adopt the lifestyle. I do a lot of that work with people is like, you know, helping them to adapt to that lifestyle or embrace that lifestyle. And then the third thing I'd say is, is as a coach, you know, it's not my job for uh, somebody to uh, a client to come in and say, "Well, this is what you need to do." That's not what a coach does. A coach is a partner who facilitates the client, helping to find what they want to change, how they want to change it, and what behaviors that they want to to adapt to to learn in order to meet those objectives. And we then work together to create those behaviors and make them sustainable, right? Because you know, even though you get a habit, sometimes you fall off the wagon, right? And so my job is to also help them. Uh, so number one is help them identify what they want to change. Number two, help them to change it, and then number three, help keep those changes.
0: That's a good way of putting it, because for doctors and diabetes educators, they don't really have that level of involvement. They don't really take you by the hand and walk you through all the steps.
2: That's correct. And you know the and the problem with that, and, and they're well needed. I'm not saying that they're not, but If you think about a a doctor or a CDE, they've, they've gone to school for this. They spent years and years in school, and so they are now an expert. But when we go to talk to experts, we're passive, right? We're listening. We say, okay, doctor, okay, doctor, okay, doctor. So you're being treated rather than being proactively working on health and wellness. And the true path to to health is... Yes, you need to treat some conditions, but the best way to do it is to prevent the conditions from happening in the first place. And that's what health and wellness coaches do. We help you adapt and develop the this, the behaviors, the healthy behaviors that will allow you to prevent a lot of these not-so-nice things from happening, right? And then the the problem with passivity is that's it. You're just sitting here taking it all in. You're not an active participant in your own health. And that's, where, that's why working with a coach is so wonderful.
0: Another problem I see with type 1 diabetics who rely on the doctor's advice is if it doesn't work, then it's the doctor's fault. Exactly And then right. they don't
2: take, take that ownership over their lives. And- yeah, and that's a very important thing because if you are relying on the expert, we all know that the key to figuring out how to manage yourselves is experimentation, right? You got to experiment. And if you are so reliant on the, on the expert, you're not going to – you will not experiment. You know, you'll go back to them. What should I do now? Well, the doc- doctors typically run from a playbook, right? They have a very, and it's not a playbook per se. It's, there's a thought process that they've been talked to or go through, through a diagnostic fashion. And not all, doc- some doctors are very constrained by that. Other doctors realize that, hey, it's a guideline and I'll, I'll embrace what works for, for me. And I'll also embrace what I've learned over the years, treating, uh, treating folks like you and I. So it's those individuals, those, Positions that I like to see. Yeah. I, I want to work with people that would view themselves more as a partner than the expert who keeps me in a passive role.
0: Do you have a story you could share about a particularly memorable client?
2: I would say that I would say that I had clients that come in and, you know, they've kind of come in kicking and screaming. Like they don't really they know they have to do something, but they don't really want to. And then they, during this discovery process, where we go through this wellness assessment and we try to figure out, well, what is it exactly you want to be working on? There's a tremendous amount of ambivalence. It's like, well, I really want to you know, lose 10 pounds, but I'm not going to give up my yo-yos. It's that type of thing. And so helping them over the ambivalence is a huge part of the job. Because once, once, you're, once you're through your fear, it makes life a lot easier, right? You're, you're ready to move forward. You're motivated. So that, that's a big thing is getting past the ambivalence. And that's, that's one thing that I, I don't chortle about, but I, I, I see often and say, okay, what are we going to do? The second thing I would say is when the client says, all right, I got this. I'm going to bolus 20 minutes before I eat my meal and I'm not going to have chocolate for dessert. And, you know, they set the goal. And the goal is fantastic. And that's what they should be doing is working towards a goal. And, and What happens is, is that if they don't meet that goal, they get down on themselves. And coaching is all about positive psychology and it's founded within positive psychology. So I would never, ever say to any of my clients, man, you missed it. I'm so sorry. What happened? I'd say, I'd say to them, so how far along did you get? You know, I I would never, ever look at the negative. It's always about looking in the positive because once you, you, you're basically modeling behavior that you want your clients to develop for themselves. They need to feel positive about themselves. They need to pat themselves on the back. They, they can't have somebody else do it for them. They have to feel that they're in control. As a coach, my role is to help them build those competencies so that it's easier to lose 10 pounds, to go walking three times a week, to go lift weights because you have it internally. It's in your gut now. What's your favorite part about working with type 1 diabetics? I'm a story collector. I mean, it just, maybe that's why I'm a marketeer, but I love collecting stories. And I, I I like getting my folks' stories and then again, taking those and turning them into positives. Specifically, like stories have a lot of negatives, right? But, you know, for example, you, you wanted to come out and reach me, reach out to me and pat me on the back uh, to the little boy that I was based on my story. But I wouldn't be the human that I'd be today, right? I wouldn't be as resilient. I wouldn't be as outgoing. I wouldn't be I don't think I'd have a heart that is as, as big as mine is these days because of the pain that I went through when I was younger, so when I collect those stories it 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 feeds me and it it helps me be a better person as a result of it
0: that's awesome. I love story collecting too <laughs> it's so fun it's
2: the best isn't it
0: and I, as a writer, I mean I collect stories anyway and sometimes they end up in in fiction but it's it's like it's kind of on default now I just collect story
2: ideas exactly right I mean you'd be in a you'd be anywhere right you bump into somebody and uh, I remember I was I was having a drink in a bar and this uh, family sat down this this couple sat down next to me and you know we started talking and I said so tell me your story and they're like what do you mean tell me your COVID story and um, I just sat and listened for 10 minutes while they gave me their whole story that's the type of thing that I like to do with my clients tell me your story That's awesome. Let me find out who you are.
0: Do you also work with type two diabetics? I do. How is that different from your work with type one? And like, is there anything special that you focus on with type twos?
2: Well, the perspectives are different, right? Because uh, type two comes in and some of them are really focused on reversal. And other folks are just focused on living a healthier life. Now the folks that I deal with that are focused on reversal, that's great because they're motivated as well. But that's a big difference between a type one and type two. There's no such thing as reversal, right? So, so the, the headspace that a, a type two diabetic is in is completely different than a headspace that a type one is. They, they, although they may be living the life of chronic illness, they don't really feel like they're having chronic, they don't have chronic illness, not the way a, uh, a type one does. I'd say that's a, that's a really primary difference. The second, the second thing is, you know, the, the, a lot of the focus is on Habits, right? Uh, the right behavior habits in order to reverse. And same thing with type one, but the the habits can result in a lot more dramatic changes. For you know, stopping to take my oral meds, or stopping to take my Lipitor, or uh, I don't, I'm not going to take insulin anymore. My father-in-law is like that, you know. He, you know, he got type two diabetes, and he was on Truvia and all sorts of meds, and he lost weight, he started eating better off insulin now he feels better and and so it was it, that that's a prime example of what happens when I work with a type two that's awesome.
0: What does it mean to you to live a rich, fulfilling, and happy life as a
2: type one diabetic? It means realizing that diabetes doesn't define me. It means realizing that my life is rich both I have a rich life and that diabetes is and, and although that you i have a rich life, somebody from the outside might say. How could you have a rich life? You have diabetes. And I'm like, you know, you know, dude, that does not define me. So that's number one. Number two, it's that, you know, you have to embrace yourself, all of you, right? So you have to embrace what you like about yourself, what you don't like about yourself, the challenges that you have and the opportunities that you have. Because if you don't embrace it, you're going to hate yourself, right? I went through many years, I know many other diabetics that, that, you know, they hate themselves because they hate the diabetic, they hate the diabetes. And so they, and they, they align themselves and they define themselves by the diabetes. Don't do that. That is great advice.
0: And speaking of advice, what advice do you have for the young diabetics out there?
2: For the young diabetics out there? Or for all diabetics out there? Why not both? Let's do young and then all. Okay. For young diabetics. Well, under 14, listen to your parents. You know, they're, they're doing the lion's share of the work. So don't make it harder on them. For those that you are, you know, 14 through 18 and you think that you will live forever, you won't. And because you want independence, it's time for you to also, in addition to learning independence, to learn a degree of respect for your body and what you need to do in order to stay healthy. For those older than that, young adults and, and adults, you know, if you haven't embraced the lifestyle and, and you probably will have to work harder to do that. But I recommend that you do because you're going to be a happier person. I would also say that um, if you haven't found partnership, whether it's in one other diabetic or a community of diabetics or in your wife or your kids, community will, 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 bol- will bolster you and will help you overcome any obstacles that you may be facing in the long term or short term.
0: Great advice. Is there anything you want our listeners to know about you that we haven't covered yet?
2: I'm the father of six, including 14-year-old triplet girls. And uh, I have an elder son who is 30 years old. He's off the payroll, thank God. And then I have two lovely stepchildren. And so if that isn't a an example of what you can do with your life, whether or not you have diabetes or not, I don't know what is. So my life's enriched, not only by my family, but by the things that I do, by you folks who who seek out my assistance. And so I focus on the positive. I know it's hard sometimes because you're thinking, oh, I was up all night or I've got this pain here or that pain there. Breathe, be mindful, present, do yoga, tai chi, whatever it is, but find something that centers you.
0: I just breathe for everybody who's listening. I just took a breath right when he said that. Kind of I on saw instinct. that.
2: Well done. I'm so proud of you.
0: Thank you. Do you have any projects that you're working on right now that you're super excited about?
2: non professional projects, like I I'm a woodworker and so I've been doing a lot of woodwork lately. I am cooking more. Ever since the pandemic I've been cooking a lot more, been hiking a lot more. So those types of projects, I know they're not really projects, but they're they're more activities that I'm pursuing. In fact, nothing major except it's the summertime and I'm actually looking to take some time off.
0: We all need time off. Indeed. All right. Final question. Where can people find you online?
2: So they can go to stephenman.net, S-P-E-V-E-N, man, dot nnet or they can go to diabetescoach.co. And that's where you'll find me.
0: All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking with me today.
2: My pleasure, Colleen. Thank you for having me.
1: All right. Our audience question for you guys this week is, what is your experience with the difference between medical professionals and more support or coaching mentors in the type one diabetic community?
0: That is it for this episode of This is Type One. Thank you so much to Steve for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 101. It's the number 101. You can apply to be a guest by visiting type1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. If you want to hit of, of really focused inspiration in your inbox every Wednesday, you can sign up for my email list at inspiredforward.com. I'm on all social media and Clubhouse as at Inspired I'm on the diabetes app as at Colleen Mitchell. And our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com.
1: Our podcast Instagram handle is at this is type one pod. It's kind of a mouthful for me to say because it's so new. and We're so excited to have it. That is the number one if you do look us up. And my personal Instagram is at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. And if you do reach out on Instagram, please make sure you let me know you're a listener of the show. I would love to hear from you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week
0: for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember... You control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.